and welcome to the downward facing spiritual spiral podcast the main reason why i felt inspired to record a podcast today is i sort of wanted to talk about my yoga story you know i've i it's sort of my podcast has gotten a pretty yoga it has a yoga theme going on obviously i talk a lot about yoga or at least you know i've had some guests where you know a lot of yoga teachers on the show because i have a huge interest and a passion for yoga uh, but i also sort of criticize yoga sometimes and i talk about it on instagram a lot and i sort of thought i should give a little backstory about you know yoga and and what it means to me and how i got to this place and here i am teaching yoga and and you know what sort of gives me the right to have an opinion about yoga and what's going on in the yoga community out here especially in los angeles um so I don't know. I just I, I wanted to talk about that. I think also I'm, I'm releasing some new music on Friday, and I'm back in the studio recording some new music. So I think later on this week I'll probably release a podcast where I'm sort of talking about my uh, creative process and sort of things I have going on um, in the studio. Just a lot of sort of different creative stuff is happening. Um, so yeah. So I think I want to start off by talking about. Um, you know, my yoga, my yoga world. So basically, and I'm going to try and make this as quickly as possible because I don't want it to be a terribly long podcast this week. But, um, you know, often I think to myself, you know, who am I to sort of give opinions about yoga and the yoga community and why do my opinions matter? And and, um, and that's a fair question. So I thought I should share a little story about, you know, where I came from and and sort of what the what yoga means to me. So basically... I never practiced yoga at all um, until my early 20s. I um, was really sick as a kid. When I was 12, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, which is an autoimmune disease. Um, it's 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 um, similar to like Crohn's, colitis, asthma, HIV is an autoimmune disease. Basically, your immune system gets confused because of this virus. Um, lupus is an autoimmune disease, um, fibromyalgia. So your immune system just stops working. And, and there's the white blood cells, the red blood cells, and, and they start, I forget which one is better for your body all of a sudden, but the, the, I think the white blood cells start attacking your good cells, your red cells in your body. And you end up getting really sick. Now, this is really way before, um, this was way before, um, Doctors really even knew what what these conditions were. Um, so I, you know, this was years ago before like Enbrel came out and Humira came out and all these meds that help rheumatoid arthritis now and like colitis and Crohn's. This this was a long time ago. So um, you know, I was diagnosed when I was twelve and really sick on lots of medication, uh, methotrexate medications for like cancer, uh, gold, Plaquenil. You know, I was I missed like a year of school, lost 40, 50 pounds, um, was pretty sick. And this this was sort of my life from about the age of 12 to about 17 or 18. Uh, missed a lot of school, um, stayed home a lot, had fevers, uh, anemia, just I was in and out of the hospital, doctor's office. This, this, was, this went on for a long time. You know, I had those moments of health um, where I started to feel better, but um, I think psychologically the impact was also pretty strong and pretty great and uh, left me, um, I, I think anything that happens to you as a kid, whether it's divorce, 
health issues. Um, it, it certainly leaves a scar, and, and, and believe me, it's, it's, all, it's, it's left me... It'll always be with me, no matter um, what age I reach. I think when something traumatic happens to you as a child, it's something you really, you know, don't forget. So anyway, so um, this went on till about 17 or so, uh, 18. I ended up going to college. I was still on meds, um, but miraculously, I, I moved out to Los Angeles, went to college. And over time, the, the disease went away, and I think it was a combination of a new environment, not being in Cleveland anymore, um, probably good attitude, uh, my body. And, and also it's it's said that as you get a little older, um, you can grow out of these conditions, uh, like similarly to Crohn's and colitis, they, they often get into remission. So I think a, a combination of things was happening where I um, was moving on from my sort of childhood life and was starting over again. Lots of things were happening, but I was... I ultimately got it to complete remission and come the age of like 21, 22. Uh, hey, Nelly, my cat, one of my cats is here. Um, 21, 22, I got off all my medication. I was in perfect, quote unquote, perfect health, um, at least physically. And there you go. So I uh, graduated from college and I was around 23 or 24 at this time. And I started getting sick again. Um, Similar symptoms, I couldn't move joints, high fever, losing weight. Um, you know, I couldn't bend my elbows. My body was really inflamed, muscles always sore. Um, I got um, something called pericarditis also, which is sort of an inflammation of the heart. And since, you know, rheumatoid arthritis not only affects joints, but it also affects muscles. It's different from the type of arthritis that, that you may think of with, you know, osteoarthritis. Getting older cartilage um, um, going away, joints just not functioning as well. Rheumatoid arthritis, because it's an autoimmune condition, it can affect any muscle in your body, and that includes the heart. So what made matters worse for me was I had to take a ton of prednisone and steroids because the fluid that was forming around my heart was making it difficult for me to breathe. And it, if this went on for too long, uh, you could ultimately get a heart condition, you could have a heart attack, you could, your heart muscle won't function as well, and um, you'll die. So uh, basically in my early 20s, this condition, rheumatoid arthritis, came back again, and I started feeling really sick. I couldn't move, I couldn't eat, I couldn't wake up. And I was living in uh, in Malibu at the time on my own, and I my, my neighbor downstairs would often come up and take care of me because uh, I couldn't take care of myself. And I remember my mother coming out to LA, trying to help me out for about a week or two. But obviously, it became very clear that I was not going to be because I couldn't work. Um, I couldn't take care of myself. I couldn't do just the basic things like shave and eat, because I was just too sick. And I think when you're 23, 24, um, getting, you know, dealing with a, a physical condition like RA, lupus, Crohn's, I mean, it, it requires a lot of work, a huge support system. And at the time, I just, I didn't have it. So I ultimately picked up all my things, moved back home to Cleveland and live with my mom and dad so that I could basically be taken care of and get back to sort of normal physical health.
So I was back on medication, back to um, seeing doctors again, and two joints that really got affected for me were my wrists. They, they got so affected that I lost about 70% mobility in my wrists. Uh, I mean, I remember getting shots of uh, steroids directly into the wrists for years, probably like five or six injections in each wrist, but they just never worked. Um, and it was pretty scary to not be able to have that. The amount of pain in my wrists was just so intense. So, you know, this went on for another five, six months where I was getting, I was back, you know, I got sick again, I moved home, back on medication. But this time around, it didn't last like four or five years. I did notice I was getting better um, health-wise. Still really swollen, lots of fluid in my elbows, lots of wrist pain. Um, But I had a, I made a choice. I could stay in Cleveland move home, find an apartment, get a job. But for whatever reason, I wanted to go back to Los Angeles. I think growing up in Cleveland, uh, there was a lot of history of health and disease there. And I, I think emotionally, I needed to get away from this place. And I wanted to give LA one more try. So I wasn't completely in remission again. I was still on medication, still taking prednisone, steroids, uh, methotrexate. Uh, These are all anti-inflammatories. And at the time, this was well before Enbrel and Humira, uh, Remicade, all these new medications that have sort of helped these autoimmune conditions. So grab all my stuff, pack up all my stuff, move back to LA, don't have an apartment. I do have a second cousin that lived in Agora Hills. So um, move or took got all or when before moving back to Cleveland, I put all my stuff in storage, kind of hoping that I was going to eventually move back to Los Angeles because I really did love it out here. And so, um, yeah, I set up shop in Agora Hills, found an apartment in Santa Monica. It was rent control on 14th Street and Broadway, and it was six hundred dollars a one bedroom. Obviously, I scored, and I slowly started building up my life again, uh, found a job, um, gosh, in maybe Brentwood or a restaurant, just waiting tables. I don't really remember exactly where, um, oh, it might've been Louise's Trattoria actually on Montana Avenue. Uh, that, I think that's actually where I got a job. So, uh, and I found a new doctor, a rheumatologist, and I remember going to the doctor for a couple months And he suggested I go to therapy um, because he sort of made me realize that, you know, these physical conditions that we have, whether it could be asthma, rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's, colitis, and now I believe this, you know, as a fact for sure, but a lot of these conditions are really mental. Not that they don't exist, because they do, but the mental aspect of these health conditions plays such a toll on the body. I mean, if you're anxious, um, if you've been abused, if you are scared of death, if you're a hypochondriac, if you're in a bad relationship and you end up getting sick, um, I do believe that history and anxiety and, and mental deficiencies all contribute to whatever physical condition you are experiencing. So I think my doctor 
probably saw that I was scared out of my mind that I was going to get sick again and that I was going to have to move back home. Because I think at this point, if I had to move back home again, um, I was probably never going to come back to Los Angeles. And to me, Los Angeles, it's interesting. At the time, L.A. was actually a really scary place to live. Um the Rodney King riots had just happened. This huge earthquake in Northridge had happened. Um, mudslides, the fires. But for whatever reason, I felt, and I can't even explain it, but for whatever reason, L.A. to me felt like maybe a new opportunity. So I'd been, so I started going to therapy uh, probably a couple times a week talking about, cause it's obviously it's, 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 it creates a lot of anxiety knowing that, you know, at any time, cause I didn't know why I got sick as a 12 year old. I, I, I seemed, I had been living a pretty normal life, good, good grades. Uh, my parents were together, pretty decent upbringing, I guess, and played little league baseball all the time and seemed like a pretty typical uh, upbringing to me. And, and, uh, out of nowhere, I get incredibly sick. So I sort of lost a lot of faith, lost a lot of trust in my body that at any moment um, I could get sick again. So I start going to therapy, probably three, four, five months. And my therapist at this point, I'm probably 24, 25, suggests I should go to a yoga class. Because yoga can be really helpful, uh, can bring strength, help the mind. And this is obviously years, 15, 20 years before Instagram and Facebook, and none of this shit exists. I think I just got my first cell phone, um, a flip phone. No, it was even way before flip phones. So my therapist suggests that I go to a yoga class. And it wasn't at a studio. It was at this woman's home in West LA. Her name's Beth. And she was an Iyengar. She still practices Iyengar yoga. But uh, she studied with Manuso Manis, who studied directly with um, Manuso studied directly with BKS Iyengar himself. Um, and so I ended up going to her place like three times a week for privates and classes. And she was picked because she was really, she had her own health issues. And she found yoga and Iyengar yoga through, I forget whom, but basically she learned that through these sort of restorative inversion type postures, and I'm not talking about handstand, but I'm talking more about like hanging upside down, shoulder stand, uh, elevating your legs on chairs so the heart is above the head, Septu Bandha lying on a bench, um, Supta Baddha Konasana, just so many different postures that that through um, BKS Iyengar's um, Knowledge, he, he became aware that certain postures could help the immune system. And so she was very adamant about me practicing these postures every day. Never, I never did the standing poses. It was all restorative yoga. And this went on for probably a year, year and a half. And I bought, you know, bolsters and blocks and straps and blankets and I practiced at home. And I I felt better over, I mean, it took a long freaking time, but over probably a year to two, I came off all my medication. Um, I felt stronger. I felt mentally not as anxious. Um, I just felt, I felt better. Um, I, I 
became committed to the practice of Iyengar yoga. And miraculously, over a few years, I started going to more classes and I was doing standing poses in classes. And I went to Manuso's workshops at the studio on Third Street in LA when that's when the Iyengar Yoga Institute used to be located on Third Street. So I really developed this incredible appreciation for my teacher because she it was just she treated me with so much respect and care and made me feel like this practice was going to work and Manuso did the same thing um it, it, you know people turn to yoga for serious health issues uh, i certainly did i i practiced Iyengar for years. I think uh, I went to Paul Cabanis's classes, and he still teaches at Yoga Works. And I went to Marla's classes and Chris Stein. And I mean, I went to some of the most well-known Iyengar teachers in in the LA area, highly respected. Um, and this kind of went on for about four or five years, and came off all my medication, and I guess I started to burn out though a little bit on on yoga. I I don't know if it's because I'm a guy. I don't know if I, I you know, I was scared to go to the gym because there were times when I would go to the gym back when I was like 14, 15, 16 and I would get sick and then and then my body would start to fail and my joints wouldn't move and it's because the rheumatoid arthritis was so uh, prevalent in my body. I didn't trust, I didn't know what I could or couldn't do, but so many doctors told me, excuse me, so many doctors told me that I had to be very careful uh, what types of exercises I do. So yoga made the most sense because obviously it, it wasn't taxing on the body. And somebody late in my 20s suggested I start swimming. And I loved it. I, I uh, For years, people told me I should swim, but I was a terrible swimmer. I never, I think also the other thing about swimming you didn't wear any clothes, obviously, except a bathing suit. And because I was so sick and emaciated and I lost 40 pounds, I never felt confident taking off my shirt and going into these public pools to swim. Uh, so I just, I never did it. But I think practicing yoga for four or five years, although I sort of burnt out on it and sort of the the structure of it all, and there was sort of a seriousness to it, I ultimately burnt out on it and I started to go swimming and I swam almost every day at the Santa Monica College pool, Culver City pool, and I loved it. And this went on for three, four, five years and I got stronger and I felt great and I, I didn't really miss yoga much. I think I would practice every now and again at home. and uh, But generally speaking, I, yoga just really wasn't a part of my life anymore. Uh, I became all about swimming, uh, even hiking out here. And that was sort of going on for about four or five years until one day I pinched a nerve in my neck and I was reminded of pain again. I, I literally just was getting out of bed and I think I like looked over to my girlfriend or, or wanted to talk to her or something and, and I moved my head in a way where I literally like hit the floor. I could not move my head from left to right and this... I could have moved my head for like a good week. And although it started to slowly get better, um, one of my friends suggested that I go take a yoga class. 
Now, of course I thought about going back to Iyengar, but there was something about Iyengar that sort of, I guess maybe I wasn't as interested in it this second time around. Somebody suggested I go to a sort of vinyasa power, more movement-based class. So I went over to Santa Monica Power Yoga on 2nd Street and started taking classes with uh, Michelle Goldstein. Excuse me. Who I still know what who I still know now and and um, I think I'm gonna actually have her on the show hopefully in the next couple months because um, just really respect her a lot but um, so I took her class and I really found a lot of joy in the cl- in the practice in the class uh, we started doing standing poses uh, we flowed you you probably know if you take vinyasa flow classes it, it was just there was more energy to it and in iyengar you really hold postures for a while there often isn't music and in these vinyasa flow classes which have become sort of super popular in la over the last 10 years um, there's just there's just a fun factor to it and i felt um i don't know i felt i i slowly started to feel better um, I got stronger and I started taking uh, Vetus's class and Rudy's class uh, in 2nd Street and 6th Street. And I made some friends and there was just a sort of a fun energy to it all. And I was really, um, I mean, the reason I remember going to these classes and I had to be very, I think my background in Iyengar yoga was actually really helpful because I would use blocks and blankets and props um, to help my neck. And like if we're lying down in Shavasana, I would place my head on a block because I knew certain postures and poses could bring some of that pain back into my neck. So anyway, um, I really got into yoga again and I joined Yoga Works and started going to class pretty much every day. Um, and this went on for a couple years. But something was changing and shifting in the yoga world at this time. Um, I was, Instagram was starting to take over, and this was maybe like five years ago. And I noticed a shift happening in Los Angeles in the yoga community. And it became apparent that some yoga teachers, not all, but it became apparent to me that yoga teachers were in it for sort of the accolades or the attention was getting to their heads. Instagram celebrity was starting to happen with yoga and aloe yoga. And I just, and I was going to Main Street. That was sort of my main studio. I saw a shift happening where it was, yoga was not about um, helping people get better like physically or mentally, it seemed the attention was being drawn towards, oh my God, did you see that one-handed handstand that somebody was holding on Instagram? And it became obvious to me that yoga teachers want were getting caught up in that. Um, at least the ones that I was sort of around. And Yoga Works to me was supposedly this yoga studio that hired all the best yoga teachers in the world. I mean, like, like that's where I, not, let's not say the world, the United States. Um, so I, I assumed that um, this was the place to take yoga. And I still think there's amazing teachers there. Um, but 
the ones that were the most popular, the ones that had the primary time slots, there seemed to be a shift happening where what was, it was become, ego was becoming a part of the practice. Attention, showing off, getting more followers, uh, helping your own brand. Because yoga, yoga companies, along with just normal corporate companies, were seeing that the attention was being drawn to Instagram, um, getting followers. And so yoga teachers, you know, when, when I would go into class, people would talk about all these sort of yoga celebrities that were holding handstand. And I actually started, and so teachers would obsess over handstand, like that would be the, the big deal in class. And I got caught up in it um, where I felt like in order to become a better student, I should learn handstand. And I became obsessed with handstand. I worked on it every day. Um, I started thinking that in order to be a good yogi, whatever that means, you needed to have like 50,000 followers on Instagram. I used to think that, oh, if this person is repped by Aloe Yoga or if this person could hold handstand, they must be a great yoga teacher and I should take their class. Maybe it's really naive of me to think of that, but this was the chatter that was going on around me from people just in my yoga world. And maybe I was hanging out surrounded by the wrong yoga people, but I don't think so. I, this was This was going on all the time, no matter where I went, people were talking about certain teachers, getting followers, you have to take their class, or can you believe how they were sort of exploding? And I ended up taking their class. And you know what I saw? I felt teachers that were more concerned about their looks, their brand, and the clothing they were wearing, and their Instagram following, than actually helping and teaching people. And it really bummed me out. Like, this was a practice that I really looked up to and I cherished and I believe brought me back to health and it was going, it was losing its uh, reputation. It was becoming just like what everything else is becoming on Instagram, sort of a, a show-off show, uh, tricks and parties and getting your attention. And, and yoga at its core is pretty boring in the sense that it doesn't, you know, lying in Shavasana, um, holding warrior two, it's, it's not supposed to be about looking hot and looking good on Instagram. It's about building strength mentally and physically so that you can uh, somehow find some peace and comfort in this freaking crazy world we live in today. So what I knew about yoga, it, I, I felt like it was going away. It was becoming a shit storm, a shit show. Um, and it was really sort of bumming me out and turning me, turning me off. And I was, and the teachers that I was looking up to, to me became, sort of caught up in this 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 swirling storm going on in Instagram where, oh my God, if this person can get like 30, 40, 50,000 followers and then get a deal with Aloe Yoga and get free clothing and get flown around the world, you know, taking photos, well, that's what I want. And I'm not saying that that's what I want, but I got the sense that that was sort of the goal 
of yoga teachers. And I would, and I used to follow like 50, 60, 70 yoga teachers, all the big ones that had tons of followers, and they were all doing the same thing posting handstand pics with their shirts off, posting like um, spiritual quotes on how you should live your life. And I just sort of had it. I had it with what was going on with yoga. And I had been asked to take a yoga teacher training at Yoga Works, and I didn't really want to be a part of that corporate system. So this had been going on for quite a while, and I was sort of confused and and turned off by what was going on with with yoga in Los Angeles. And you know, I I have a pretty decent voice and I have a I guess a pretty good demeanor and I'm comfortable being in front of people. And so I remember this this one woman just sort of could sense or we had talked about how it was sort of sad what was going on to yoga in Santa Monica and Los Angeles and she said something to me like, "You know, you should you should do a teacher training. You should uh, she she said something like, I think you'd be a great teacher. Uh, her name was Tara, and I actually remember talking, or her name is Tara, I remember talking to her at the Main Street location. And so, of course, I sort of just like blew it off. Um, but the energy sort of started to take a little bit more storm, or it started to pick up inside of me and gain strength. And one of my friends, Matt, said to me, you know, you should check out this guy, Tamal over at Yoga Salt in, in Culver City. And so I, I took his class, and you know what I sensed? I sensed a guy who didn't give a damn about Instagram or becoming a yoga celebrity or about holding handstand all the time. I didn't sense an ego. Um, he just exuded all the qualities that I liked in a yoga teacher. It was different, of course, from sort of the Iyengar teachers that I took um, in like my 20s when I was really sick. But, um, oh, I remember one other breaking point. I was becoming so obsessed with handstand because my wrists are so fucked up from, um, from from the disease that I was diagnosed with. I come to find out that and all my teachers were telling me to do handstand, and that was sort of like the thing to do, and I bought a slant board to, to help me with my handstand. Well, I come to find out my, I, my neck was starting to get bad again. I go to a chiropractor, and he tells me the reason why my neck is getting so messed up is because I keep doing handstands, and because I barely have any mobility in my wrists, you know, that that all that weight is going into my shoulders, which is then fucking up my neck. So I think this all of this was just creating this storm in my head where I just had it with what was going on with the yoga world in LA and Santa Monica. So back to Tamal. My friend tells me to take his class and he just had this energy where it wasn't about him. It was, at least that was the vibe that I got. You know, um, he sang a song at the end of class. Um, The music, like I'm a musician, so music was always really important to me. And he really made music a priority like it to me it made it made sense the music it was he was playing um i just felt no ego before during and after class and so i ended up signing up for his teacher training and it ended up being a really amazing inspiring experience i learned a lot about yoga i mean let's be real 200 hour teacher training isn't isn't a huge amount of knowledge there's so much to learn but i think because I'd practiced yoga for years, 
it really gave me another level of knowledge and appreciation for the practice and where Tamal grew up and came from. He really, truly lives the lifestyle of a, of a yogi. Uh, he eats uh, totally green. Um, he's vegetarian. He grew up on an ashram in Hawaii. He opened, I, I just, am I going to change my life and be like him? I don't think so, but it was certainly great to be around somebody for four months who um, made gave me faith and hope in the yoga community in Los Angeles. So I guess you could say that after I completed the training, I I, I just I felt re I felt re-energized. And I thought like my experience and my history with yoga and how important it was to me before Instagram, I felt like my story and my love of the practice could potentially resonate with some people. Maybe some other people out there are sort of fed up with how yoga has become in some regards about showing off and handstand and, and looking good on a social media platform. And that, you know, we keep talking about yoga now in such so many physical ways, but we're losing the, the importance that it can bring uh, to mental health and it can help disease. And I just felt like maybe my story, my history with yoga and where I came from could resonate with people. So I remember completing the training in April or May and applied at LA Fitness like a month later. And and I was I was terrible as a teacher at first. I mean, I'm, I think I'm finally starting to find my voice and I've been teaching for a couple of years, but... Um, I don't know. I really loved it. I think uh, it, it allows me to create a space where people can feel safe and comfortable and vulnerable and, and close their eyes. And, and I, I, I play really great music, at least I think. I actually think music is just as important as the teacher. Um, I, I, I think I don't have an ego about it. I realize, and I think I don't have an ego about it, and I think I appreciate it because I'm older now, and I realize that I still have a lot to learn. But I do get the sense that people like my style. I mean, it's a challenging class. It's physically demanding. I, I do like to bring people to their edge, but I also am sensitive, and I also always suggest props and bolsters and taking child's pose. And uh, I teach yin classes now sometimes. Uh, I teach now at Hyperslow, and I'm really close to getting hired at another studio that's opening up on the west side, and I don't want to talk about it, but I just had a meeting with her last week, and it went really well. Um, I don't know. I just, I wanted to bring a different energy to yoga in Los Angeles, and I think it's working. You know, it's still, I don't have a huge following right now, and I'm still starting out pretty much. And I, I realize I'm teaching yoga in one of the busiest, um, most oversaturated cities when it comes to yoga teachers. I've tried out at Equinox. I didn't get the gig yet, although I, I they keep telling me I'm great. Um, you know, it's, it's really competitive out here. Um, and I think that whole story with me and yoga also sort of inspired the podcast. I think what happened in the yoga community with yoga... Um, and Instagram is just sort of what's happening in general. Um, we're becoming 
attracted or our attention is going towards the flash and like the sex appeal. And we just assume that somebody that has 50,000 followers and, 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 you know, posts some and looks good all the time and, and looks great in warrior two, you know, I assume that that person was a, was a good yoga teacher. You know, if Aloe Yoga or Lululemon um, brings them on as an ambassador, it must mean that they're a great teacher. But that's not necessarily the case because I've gone to some of those these classes and I actually, I remember, this is the other breaking point for me. I remember going to one of their classes in Santa Monica and I hurt my back um, because we did, like, we did um, backbends within the first 10, 15 minutes of class and and really... That's kind of a little, the backbend should be pretty gentle at the beginning of class because backbends can be pretty in, intense. And so I ended up hurting my lower back for about a couple months after that class. And I remember walking out and talking to a few other people and they all were like, what the fuck were we doing backbends for in the first 10 minutes of class? And I, and I just, I think people in that Instagram world, they get caught up in in, in, the, in sort of the attention and they're, they're, they lose sight of of valuing and, and, and paying attention to the room and what's in the room. And we can't all hold handstand. And just because you can hold handstand for two minutes doesn't mean that you're a great yoga teacher. Um, and don't use Instagram to find a great yoga teacher. You know, talk to your friends. Um, ask your doctor. Uh, ask a friend who goes to yoga all the time. Go to different classes. Uh, I think you know, Instagram has this way of making everything or everybody seem like they know what they're talking about. And I think that sort of inspired me to become a teacher. It also inspired the podcast. I think we are paying attention to things now that really aren't as important as they used to be. Uh, we're paying attention to things now that we shouldn't be paying attention to. And I think um, I just the podcast was about making people more aware of what we're paying attention to, having more conversations, paying less attention to Instagram and likes and and looking hot all the time, because that stuff really doesn't matter. And I think to close, I, I went to this talk last night, Colin Wright, he's a minimalist, and one of my friends, Jen, who was on my podcast a few weeks ago, has really started to embrace the minimalism lifestyle. And, you know, I, I don't know how extreme I'm going to get with that. But I do think these, I think it makes sense for me as a yoga teacher to think about the idea of being more of a minimalist, um, having less things, because maybe having less things will mean more awareness to our body and our mind and our thoughts and having more clarity in what, you know, we really want um, with our lives. So, um, anyway, I, I just, I appreciate you listening this week. I'm going to have some more interviews over the next few weeks. I just felt like I should tell my story as to, you know, where I'm coming from with yoga and, and why I have the feelings that I, that I do about the practice and, and why I hold it up to such a high regard, because I think it does have the power in the right people's hands to heal and change lives and way beyond just holding handstand for a minute or looking good on a social media platform. So um, there is depth to the practice. Um, 
So yeah, I really appreciate you all listening to my story this week. And I'll be back um, really soon with some more yoga teachers, DJs, writers, etc. I'm also releasing a new song, by the way, on iTunes this Friday. Uh, So I'm probably going to talk about that uh, on a podcast, just sort of my creative process and what I'm sort of going through right now, musically speaking. So anyway, uh, for now, the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral. Thanks so much uh, for listening.